Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the stakes get higher for small business contractors. So people feel like if I don't get in this time around, I'm shut out for a long time. There's you know there's a ton of value to be created for my business there. So they're you know they're kind of treating these as sort of existential type events, right? Where if I'm not on the vehicle, I'm at a massive competitive disadvantage. And so when something's existential, people are going to pull out all the stops to get on there. And it's not all bad news for the VA's electronic health records program. That's schedulers themselves said once the system is fully up and that they can use it the way they need to, they really do think it will be a significant improvement from what they were using previously. It's Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The vaccine mandate for federal contractors is on hold for now. A U.S. District Court judge in Georgia issued an injunction Tuesday against the mandates. The judge's ruling is nationwide. The White House says it'll appeal the ruling. The Biden administration is asking for almost $2 billion to fund artificial intelligence research and development. The request is part of the fiscal 2022 supplemental budget request. The $1.7 billion the administration asked for is almost 9% higher than the $1.5 billion it requested last fiscal year. You can read more about all these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. The General Services Administration is pressing pause on its Polaris contract. It will hold off on issuing its request for proposals until after the first of the year. Alan Thomas is Chief Operating Officer at IntelliBridge. He's former Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. Alan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. When I invited you to come on the show and talk about this, you wrote back to me. Your first thought when you read this article was a verbal decree to the FAST team when you were there. What was that verbal decree, Alan? Welcome. So the uh, the verbal decree was thou shalt not issue an RFP over the holidays, right? For a for a major <laughs> major procurement, right? The reason for that is why. What difference does it make? What time of year you put it out? Well, I, look, I think uh, everybody's human, right? N- no, nobody likes to have a big giant proposal to work on over the over the holidays, and I think you know it's a little bit of from a government standpoint where it sort of feels like, hey, it's about the 15th or so of December, we're going to launch this RFP out there and then, you know, hope hope you industry folks all work, you know, like crazy over the holidays. And then when we get back from the holidays, we'll, we'll evaluate it. I, you know, I think just being a good, a good partner kind of recognizing, right, that people need a little downtime and, you know, everybody wants to spend a little time with their family over the holidays makes sense. I also think from a business standpoint, you probably get, you probably get slightly better uh, responses back, right? not forcing people to juggle uh, things over the over the holidays, right? You let everybody come back refreshed um, and go at it, particularly for these big procurements, you know, a couple of weeks is not really going to make a big a big difference one way or the other. And we're talking about, you know, these these five or 10 year multiple award sort of deals. I understand, hey, we've got a mission requirement. You know, we've got to get something on contract by 31 December to meet some mission. Okay, right. Hey, maybe maybe that goes out over the holidays. But for something like Polaris, it's it seems to it seems to make sense to you know t- take a couple of weeks and put it out in January. You can understand though why people got a little bit jumpy given what Polaris is and what it's following and all of that stuff. Certainly can, right? I mean, the you know the GSA struggled with uh, the follow-on to Alliance Small Business, and you know ultimately that got hung up in protests and they canceled it. And so this you know this this is this is that. 
Um, so, you know, pe people are a bit leery. And certainly, I think folks have a couple of scars from CISP4, small business, right, mm -hmm. which did eventually get put out and responded to. But there were many uh, fits and starts there. That was not a smooth process by any means. And there are, you know, there are a bunch of pre-award protests and things to sort through there that, you know, my, my sense is, um, you know, may, may, may or may not actually get awarded. Right. We'll we'll see. Where is this community going wrong with these issues, Alan? That you see, P four is a good example of that. And I'm not—I don't mean to pick on the NITAC people. That's not their fault necessarily. But there's a trend here potentially developing that I imagine the community wants to try to nip in the bud, right? I—I I think that's right. In some sense, these GUACs are a victim of their own success. Maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you know, you could you could get an award on an alliance small business and hey, you lost out. OK, you lost out. You know, we'll screw it. We'll, we'll get the next one. But I think people realize now, wow, you get an award on one of those uh, and you win, you know, you win some task orders that can really create a lot of uh, value and wealth for the owners of that business. And so uh, people are realizing and, and, the, and the pops are long, right? The periods of performance are long. So people feel like if I don't get in this time around, I'm shut out for a long time. There's, you know, there's a ton of value to be created for my business there. So they're, you know, they're kind of treating these as sort of existential type events, right? Where if I'm not on the vehicle, I'm in a massive competitive disadvantage. And so when something's existential, people are going to pull out all the stops to get on there. Right. Mm -hmm. And that includes throwing the kitchen sink from a protest perspective. What, if anything, did you try to do when you were at FAST to counter that? Or what did you maybe miss that somebody could do now to try to prevent that, given the evolution of these things, even just in the year or so since you've been out? Yeah, so I think, I mean, look, these aren't, you know, these, these are by no means my ideas, right? I mean, these were things that smart people at GSA and other places like NITAC had thought of, but, you know, creating on-ramps. So that if you if, if you some somehow miss the initial award, right, there's an opportunity to get on. And that could be uh, just, you know, we need to add some more companies because maybe companies have sized out, for example, on a small business vehicle. Or maybe we need to add uh, people with different kinds of capabilities as as the markets emerge. Right. I mean, I think that's that's probably the number one thing you can do to kind of allay some of these fears in industry. Now, I would say you've got to actually do it, right? You've got to actually meaningfully on-ramp people. And that, you know, those are good ideas, but we haven't necessarily seen them put into practice maybe as much as we'd like. And so naturally, small businesses in a case like Polaris might be a little, might be a little concerned, right? Hey, if I, if I don't get in, if I don't get the, you know, the, the first drink out of the well, the well might be dry, mm -hmm. right? Is there a worry, though, that you can have so many on-ramps that the initial award doesn't really mean that much? If, if I'm able to get on a year from now or two years from now or whatever, then the opposite of that existential threat idea becomes the case, I would imagine. It's a pendulum that swings, right? A fair, yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair point you raise, right? I mean, look, people put a lot of time and effort into competing for the initial award. You want it to mean something, right? The, the, the whole premise behind a GWAC like Polaris is that GSA has done a good bit of work in the market to, to pre-select, right? A set of firms that really do have capabilities that can meet, uh, that, that, that can meet the requirements laid out in the, in the statement of work. And so it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be sort of a come one, come all kind of program, right? Where, where any, anybody's on there. And I think and they've laid out, I think a fairly, a fairly smart sort of pathway, right? Hey, you might start, say in the schedules program, right? You're, you're sort of a new business with a couple years under your belt. You've got some results. Maybe you start in the schedules program, you build some past performance, you build some capability, 
as a prime, right, as a small. And then, you know, at some point you've built up enough of a base and you've made some investments in uh, in corporate infrastructure, quality systems, uh, you know, getting a, a facility clearance, things like that, that then would allow you to compete for something like a Polaris, for, for example. What should I pay attention to when Polaris comes out and in the subsequent weeks to see if it is on a better track than some of the vehicles we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, Alan? So, you know, an, e- an easy indicator is, are there, how many amendments are, are issued, right? And, and, and what's the substance of those, of those amendments? I think, you know, what was concerning about CIOSP4 was there are a flurry of amendments, some of them at the last minute, and they were substantive, right? They weren't, they weren't just sort of administrative in nature. They fundamentally changed how people teamed and technically approached that procurement. That's, you know, that's, that's kind of an indicator that there, that there are some issues there, right? Um, so that, you know, I think that that's, that's the number one thing that I would, that I'd watch for there. I think GSA has done a good job of communicating with industry, a lot of drafts, a lot of industry days, right? So I wouldn't expect that here. Um, but, but, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I do think it'll be interesting to note also, you know, they've created these four pools on Polaris, right? And one of the pools is for service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses, right? So you might say, well, there's a VETS2 GWAC out there that GSA owns also that kind of feels like it occupies that same that same space, right? So is this a, a prelude to some consolidation perhaps among that portfolio? Be, be interesting to see, right? I mean, we won't, won't know the answer to that until the awards are let and the vehicle starts to get used, but that, that might be something a little longer term to look for. Alan Thomas, thanks very much as always. Appreciate your insight. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about the Polaris contract in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Coming on Thursday's show, the cloud transition at the State Department. The Chief Information Officer there, Keith Jones, takes you through it. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dennis McDonough, says the agency has a new timeline for deploying the electronic health record system Cerner is building for the VA. One of the problems the agency had that drove the conversion was its scheduling system. Leanne Seawright is Deputy Assistant Inspector General for Audits and Evaluations at the Office of Inspector General at the Department of Veterans Affairs. She and her colleagues find the scheduling system needs improvement as the agency expands its deployment. Leanne, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. What did you look at exactly, you and your colleagues? Thanks for coming on today. So my team looked at um, the implementation of the new scheduling system at the Columbus facility and Spokane. So uh, OEHRM, or the electronic um, health record, was being rolled out at Spokane in in the full suite, but which included the scheduling system. But at Columbus, they were only rolling out the um, scheduling system separately from the electronic health record suite. So we looked at whether the schedulers received appropriate training to use the tool, um, whether there were any um, system processes or weaknesses in the in the tool, and then whether. Cerner made the appropriate updates to address those uh, process weaknesses. What did you find in each of those cases, Leanne? So we found several issues, actually. In terms of the process, uh, we found that the training was really 
lacking um, for the for the schedulers. I mean, they did not feel like they had enough time to train. Some of them weren't trained on the clinics that they actually supported, um, and you know the the full complement of tools was not available to be trained on in terms of whatever their roles might have been. Uh, we also found the testing. So they did not complete full testing before implementing the system. And so there was some system issues, some limitations that were identified and they went ahead and moved forward with the implementation of the system, knowing those limitations were in place. And lastly, we saw uh, with the ticketing process. So as they were testing, as they were training, you know, the schedulers were uh, submitting tickets, you know, identifying uh, gaps or uh, complications with the process and uh, the tracking of those tickets um, was was lacking. There wasn't really good tracking and Cerner had a responsibility to uh, respond to those tickets within a certain amount of time. But we found that there really wasn't a process in place to allow for that. Sometimes in software testing, Leanne, I'm sure you've seen this uh, in the time that you've been doing what you're doing. Um, there are organizations that will say, we know this is a shortcoming, but for the sake of iteration, we're going to move forward and try to fix it on the fly. Did you have any sense, any reason to think that that might have been the case with some of the shortcomings you found? Or were these things that uh, the agency and the company were finding as they iterated, as they developed? I think it was a little bit of both. I think that, you know, there was a deadline for implementation, right? The, we've all seen the push to to roll out the electronic health record in the facilities. And so the the push to get that out there was was definitely there. And um and there were they were aware of some of these limitations as they were, you know, implementing or even prior to implementation with the thought that either they're gonna be able to correct them or that the um, or that processes will need to change to address those gaps. You and your colleagues write in this work that you did uh, hear some accounts of some positive experiences with this. What were some of those positive accounts, Leanne? Yeah, so the MSAs, the schedulers themselves said, once the system is fully up and that they can use it the way they need to, they really do think it will be a significant improvement from what they were using previously. I mean, their ability to um, block clinics. So like um, if you have a training hour every week, they would have to do that every time every week previously, and now they can block it out for an entire year. So that's, you know, time efficiencies gained. Um, but they think that it just is going to allow them to look across clinics, across scheduling grids to make it easier to schedule, to be aware of um, the movement between um, for patients to move between clinics. So it just creates a lot more visibility. What do you know about where this is going moving forward? The Secretary of Veterans Affairs has laid out a, a timeline now subsequent to the work that you and your colleagues did about uh, where the, the rollout will go next. Based on what you did on this work, what's your sense of what that timeline means and and what the new facilities should be looking at as the deployments uh, happen? Great question. What we see or what our concern is with the timeline moving forward is um, they are trying to you know gain some efficiencies in the the delays that they've had. And so the the theory that they're going to implement this now at five locations at one time, we're, we're very concerned that the, the ticketing process won't be able to keep up with the challenges, the training won't be adequate, and there won't be enough time to train. Um, so, you know, we, we think that we're going to see a lot of the same issues that we saw, you know, in the first two rollouts. 
so we want to we want to be sure that they're allowing for the appropriate amount of time to do that training and that they've put the appropriate amount of resources to allow to train effectively at all those locations. It sounds like both the training and the ticketing issues are related to scale, to, to kind of bandwidth that both the company and the agency have to support both of those things. Am I, am I reading the report and hearing your description the right way, Leanne? Absolutely. Um, you know, the training is sort of a three-phased approach. It's a hands-on training, like a classroom-based training. It's a self-paced training. Um, it's a group training. So, you know, you need capacity, you need people to be available to do that training um, and to provide that training and then to answer questions. Um, even your self-paced um, training, you need to have somebody that can be responsive to issues identified. And the more people you're training, the more people you're rolling this out to, the more uh, trouble tickets you're likely to encounter. So absolutely, it is a bandwidth issue. I am not minimizing the challenges that you found at all. They're significant challenges to the rollout of this program. But given where this program has come from, given what some of the issues were when the system started and in the transition from Vista to the Genesis system. Is this program in your view overall on a, on a, a positive trajectory? It sounds like these, like, like it's trending in the right direction at least. I can only speak for the scheduling system. I can't speak for the, the Cerner package as a whole, but I do believe it is on the right trajectory. I think that there are issues that need to be resolved, but they are issues that can be resolved. Um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there we, we did receive a lot of positive feedback in, in terms of there is hope that this is going to be a, a tool that is really going to allow, um, you know, that access piece to, to be more readily um, accomplished. Leanne Seawright, thank you very much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Francis. You can find a link to the report from Leanne's team about the VA EHR in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes the cio at the state department keith jones on thursday's show until then i'm the host of the daily scoop podcast francis rose thanks for listening